Hello, and welcome back to Literally Literary. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to check out our previous episodes. This episode, we will continue our discussion on I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erika L. Sanchez. Last episode, we continued our discussion on the novel by talking about the first half and our favorite parts. This episode, we will focus on the second half, discussing key points and themes. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, hey. Um, <laughs> this is... Um, for you listeners out there, it's our first um, t- time that we're, you know, we're trying this out. So excuse the the audio quality, but, you know, because, of course, of the coronavirus, uh, we're recording remotely now. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, hope you all are keeping safe and, um, you know, doing uh, what you can. But, you know, last time we we um, we left off in the, right after the the summer break. Um, and uh, so we're going to finish the book today. Um, Erika's and um, uh, I think, um, you know, before she ends up going back to Mexico, um, I think I had the first passage on 167. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had talked about Mr. Ingman before. And uh, uh, kind of the you know the influential role that he plays as a mentor. Um, I just found interesting here where um, he's talking to her about her parents and and the admissions essay, where we eventually find finds out you know she does get accepted to several uh, big universities. Um, <clears throat> but what I found interesting was um, you know. Um, how she's kind of the one who mentions, you know, they're illegal. Um, the, the, so she uses the I word, as some people call it. But, you know, she, or even like Mojados, she says as well. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, he's the one who corrects her, right? And, I mean, it's, we would, you know, you normally would think it's the other way around, you know, in, in, the, in that kind of scenario. Um. And um, on one sixty seven, she goes on and she says, "I remember the raids in in a bus factory when I was little. La Mira shipped no house back by the busload, separating families forever. It must have been some sort of miracle that these sweeps were never during his shift. Although Abba is only physically present most of the time, like some sort of household fixture." And like my parents, I've always been suspicious of white people because they're the ones who call immigration or rude to you at stores and restaurants who follow you when you're shopping. But mm. I think Mr. Ingman is different. No other teacher has ever been this interested in me. Uh, I, I, I like this passage because um, it's a reality for many, many immigrants, of course. Um, and um, it it kind of... You know, she does point out that Mr. Ingman is kind of the exception to the rule of what he says about what uh, white people do when it comes to immigrants. Um, but I think it's still a little bit, you know, um, a little bit uh, risky, right? You know, because like she's exposing her own family uh, to not just to the admissions committee, but, you know, who knows what other what other people might be looking at something like that, you know, and might actually report something like that. So I, I think it, it's a little 
problematic of him, even though he's got good intentions. Um, but that's just me, you know, coming from like someone who's, you know, kind of hyper aware of those kinds of things. But I don't know what you guys thought about that, but that was my two cents. <clears throat> yeah, I highlighted that one as well. Um, but you pretty much hit on the on the same points I, I you know wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting that um, she mentions that people are like rude in stores and restaurants and stuff mm-hmm. because it's I mean not even something that it's like for people that are like undocumented. It's just like people in general. I think a lot of the times, like I've, I've experienced those like looks and I was born here. Like, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's is, interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's those um, recent real life instances of like these, these ladies calling the police on ver- various uh, people of color mm-hmm. for, you know, gathering. Right, I forget like the, the the terms they came up with them for, like um. Do you know? Do you remember which ones? Yeah, I'm talking about? yeah. The um, you got uh, these like these like, little nicknames like something Karen or yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Where it's either someone someone of color, right? Like you said, like either Mexican or. Or like yeah. Latinx or uh, someone, you know, black, you know, calling on yeah. them because like they look suspicious or something like that. And the whole like yeah. racial profiling behind it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think uh, I could relate to that, you know, yeah. feeling looked that way upon by people. Yeah. I mean, even here in El Paso, you know, and I don't know if that's what you're hinting at, Vanessa, but, you know. Well, yeah, here. Yeah. Um, Tucson, I think, at some of the book festivals yeah. that I've been to. Yeah, I remember, like, in Austin. That are, right, yeah. It's just, no one really says anything, mm-hmm. but they kind of look at you in a certain way. Right. Yeah. yeah it makes they, you feel a certain way, right? Yeah. The the microaggressions. Right. And, and, and it kind of shows that... Um, you know, that's why I really like the film Get Out by Jordan Peele, because, like, people can have good intentions, but still, you know, uh, do something that's offensive or discriminatory. And th- th- you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. what that whole film is about, is, like, the, the moderates who, you know, uh, are, are still doing things that are injurious to people of color. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, like I, I like the way you put that, you know, like uh, well intentioned, but that's that just speaks to like how culturally ingrained some of this way of thinking is. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you mentioned the term microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Not to jump ahead too mm-hmm. far, but but uh, a little later, later on, Connor, you know, does one of these as well when he asks where she's from, right? Yeah, yeah, so that's that's, that's actually one I I had to, you know, it just says another microaggression and. Reminding yeah. me of a lot of uh, was it Haley that from from hit you give uh, mm. the best friend? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just like her. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Then, uh, I, I brought that up just because, you know, it's definitely pretty, pretty much linked, you know, and, and with, with Connor, you know, he's, he's not trying to, to be like malicious about it, but mm-hmm. that's the whole, the whole thing about, about it, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes we're not aware. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it's also relates to like it, it, things that are seemingly innocuous, you know, like, um, like appropriation, you know, mm-hmm. um, that has all kinds of different manifestations, you know, but, um, right. but yeah, that, that's why I like that one. Um, cause he is, you know, undoubtedly a good mentor to her, but that kind of thing, you know, where he's kind of, um, he's got the, the blinds on, you know, cause he doesn't realize how dangerous that could be. I mean, thankfully nothing comes out of, out of it, but still, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I think a little later, um, y'all had um, one sixty nine to one seventy one or so. Yeah, yeah, I had a one sixty nine. <clears throat> so, sorry, this is awkward. I'm trying to adjust my mic. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <clears throat> um, I'm not used to speaking to headphone a headphone line. Yeah. Uh, I know how it's like, you know, having to adjust your mic, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty much right after this, uh, Julia goes to a bookstore. I'm going to use bookstore. And, and uh, you know, one of the things I really appreciate, appreciated reading about this, this, this book in particular is just how relatable um, a lot of Julia's observations are you know, via, via Erica Sanchez, you know, and so she's talking about on the bottom of the the page, um, you know, last time we talked all about the illusions, which I think if you, you know, if you're a reader, it's always, you get rewarded, you know, like, Oh yeah, I've read that. I know, I know what she's talking about here. Mm -hmm. Right. So she just mentions uh, Adrian Rich, you know, talks about um, diving into the wreck. She read that poem in class. Anyway, right after this, um, she's just talking about. I, I think it's it's one of my favorite passages, just because it's something I can relate to of, of walking. You know that sensation of walking around in a bookstore, right? She says she writes, "I love the smell of old bookstores, paper, knowledge, and probably mildew. I hate the cliche that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, because covers say so much about what's inside. Take the Great Gatsby, for instance." The woman's melancholic face against the city lights in the distance is the perfect representation of the quiet misery of the era covers matter. Those who don't think so are full of crap. I mean, I wear band t-shirts for a reason. Lana <laughs> wears leopard print spandex for a reason. Um, I, I, it's kind of a little humorous too, right? The way she presents it. But this whole thing about um, reading, this, this comes up, I think, in a lot of the books in which our characters are obsessed with words, with language, with reading. Um, this is certainly true in this book as well. Um, I kind of noted uh, certain instances that talk about, quote unquote, reading. In this case, it's very much having to do with books. And uh, I like this idea of, you know, what, what does it mean to judge a book by its cover? You know, that's such a, a cliche term, but I like how she... she turns it on its head and says, well, you know, part of the industry is creating that though, creating interesting covers that might have to do with the content. You know, a lot of the books we've Mm -hmm. reviewed on this podcast, 
we've mentioned, you know, the artwork on the cover and, you know, maybe their relationship or it's, it's eye catching. And so she even mentions it like towards the end of the book too, this whole concept of judging a book by its cover. I don't know if you guys noticed that she did a direct, uh, like a little callback, Hmm. like around 282. This is after she comes back from Mexico. And um, I think it's the Chinese restaurant. As soon as she gets back, her mom takes her to a Chinese restaurant. And she's oh, talking yeah. About, and she, you know, it made me remember this this scene here where she's talking about, you know. Oh, anyway, I, I really liked that uh, description there. I can relate to, and I think a lot of us can relate to that, you know, just being in a bookstore and, and kind of taking in the smell of the books. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and really that... It's and and really the world. I think maybe just kind of being allured, or, or maybe that's not the right way of saying it. Just kind of like kind of raptured by the allure of the worlds that that they can bring you in. For sure. Yeah. I think also um, uh, metaphorically, uh, you know, she gets judged a lot too by her family mm-hmm. in in Chihuahua, especially. Um, oh yeah you know and like how she looks like you know and um what she does so i think it's kind of interesting how it it also is something that is done upon her yeah you know uh, but she has a good way of kind of processing all that and um but yeah uh uh on uh 171, I think, uh, is, the, you know, right after, right, where it has all those illusions other than Great Gatsby. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I really liked it because, um, well, the next page, right, um, because it's talking about she's sitting with Connor at this point. They're meeting for the first time, and one of the first things, before they even introduce themselves, I, they talk about their favorite books. And so I really like that. It also reminded me a little bit of um, Stuck in Love. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, because I think, like, people's favorite books, it definitely does say something about who they are. Mm-hmm. Or, like, where they are in life, like we talked about in mm-hmm. previous episodes. Yeah. Um, so Julia mentions that her favorite books include... The Awakening, 100 Years of Solitude, Great Gatsby, Catcher in the Rye, and like a couple more. And she talks about poetry and her favorite poet being Emily Dickinson. And then they kind of jump off from there. And later on, she asks him about his favorite book. And then a little while later is when they finally actually introduce themselves. And, and it's kind of an instance for her where, you know, this is how she connects with people, you know? And um, mm-hmm. she mentions I, uh, 172 that, like, this is new and hazy territory for me. Guys never talk to me unless you count the creeps on the street, you know, who whistle. And I, I just wrote Poet X there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think about about that, Richie? I mean, this is this is one of my favorite scenes in the book, and uh, you know, a lot of the tone of the book is is really 
you know, depressing because of what's what's happening. But this is a this is one of those moments that's kind of um, exciting. She's excited because she hasn't really had this type of connection or conversation with mm-hmm. someone before. So even even as a reader, you know, I felt rewarded. I I think I was on the edge of my seat, you know, smiling, you know, grinning from ear to ear, um, uh, you know, because I think uh, uh, between the three of us and then whoever's listening have had conversations like that that I think we can really just dive into and you know just talk about the stuff we're passionate about. Yeah, I thought it was a, a nice moment of like levity of like a very uplifting made me feel good reading it mm-hmm. <laughs> ultimately and, and that's one of the reasons we read as well is to feel joy and uh that's also uh erica pulling out our heartstrings you know <laughs> for sure um and, and i think it's good you know that she finds someone that does share those interests you know because she is pretty unique in her family and you know her neighborhood as well even um yeah and yeah yeah well i think it's it's a really big contrast in comparison to like her conversation with her uncle also where he's like well why are you reading Mm. and then here it's like oh well these are my favorite books yeah right so I really, I really like that contrast between like the conversations as well. Yeah. And I think from a, that, I mean, that's, that's a good kind of um, way of, of showing, right. That the, the differences and um, that um, it, it's despite her working class background, you know, cause Connor, like he's rich, you know, and, um, and uh it, you know, so notice like he's got more access to like capital and books and such, and he, she's still probably able, more encouraged too. But that too, yeah, mm. that too. Um. So yeah, you know that they do end up, you know, um, getting to know each other. Uh, I, my next one wasn't till two oh eight though. I don't know about y'all. Mine's 207. Um, I guess they're pretty much... Mm-hmm. Are they the same one? Yeah, I uh, yeah, I think we have the same one. Okay, cool. So, I mean, same same here. That's, yeah. that's one of the real poet X in the margins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, why is this moment so important for her? Um, well, it's it kind of represents her relationship with her mom, I think. So her mom doesn't really understand her or see things the way that she does either. And she kind of tries to have a bigger control of her because she feels like she's losing control. And so she starts trying to take stuff away from her and then she finds her journal and she's ripping pages out of it. Um, which is why I guess it reminded all of us of Poet X mm-hmm. because in that same idea where Xiomara's mom actually burns the entire journal. Um. And, and, and just like Xiomara, you know, it's like, um, it, it, like uh, it, she has poems in there, you know? Um, right. And it's her writing. 
Yeah, she mentions like she worked on it for years and they're just gone. Mm, that hurts. Yeah. Um, would you all say this is kind of the height of like their conflict? Yeah, I mean, th this is uh, the, the total of her, her mother uh, misunderstanding a lot, right? I mean, first of all, she she finds Olga's stuff, right? That the, like incriminating stuff, the the lingerie, the hotel, right? Mm -hmm. Past the condoms, and that's you know also a misunderstanding. But um, Julia can't really explain why, explain that stuff to her. Um, and but of course, you know the big thing here is the destruction of of her dream. You know, she, that's one of the things she's always thinking of is her future as a writer and and to have that her mom not understand the importance of that to her and destroy it in front of her like pretty much i mean the way it was it on page 207 uh let's see yeah i screamed and begged for her to leave my journals alone but she went through them anyway and left me with only a dozen pages i was hysterical and tried to swipe them from her hands but if i hold me back I cried on the floor in the fetal position for hours after. I couldn't find the motivation to get up, not even when a roach crawled near my head. Life without writing doesn't feel worth living to me. You know, this really demotivates her. And that's to yeah. to feel misunderstood in such a way from, you know, I think that's such a lonely place to be. And that really contributes to her, this depression she's in. Yeah, the, the, the mm -hmm. downward spiral that comes a little later. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um. And um. So after that, what um, what did you guys have? Um, um I have two ten. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so this is shortly after, obviously, but, um, she goes for a walk and it's, she walks towards the ice skating rink, um, and she's just having like these really dark thoughts, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I really like this passage because it's something that I have gone through, I guess, um. Like the, the anxiety of like you, where you can't breathe and you can't you feel like you can't move like you feel trapped. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I feel like she did a really um, Erika did a really great job of like describing that and these thoughts and what it actually feels like. What, what was the the passage in particular that you're like the middle paragraph? Um, yes, so the second paragraph on the page. Um, do 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 do. It says, <laughs> I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of feeling like the rest of the world always gets to decide what I can do. I know I should go back home, but I can't seem to move. I can't keep going like this anymore. What is the point of living if I can't ever get what I want? This doesn't feel like a life. It feels like a never-ending punishment. My body shivers, and the thoughts in my be head become hot, confusing swirls. I can't seem to breathe right. Mm. yeah and this is what kind of uh, 
you know, right before she ends up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this is also where, like, she was already banned, not just from Olga's room, of course, but from Connor, right? From seeing Connor? Um, well, well, I think only because she just couldn't leave, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I think she... Because uh, their parents don't know about Connor, so they can't necessarily ban her. Oh, okay. From, so it come, that comes a little later, I think, then? Where, like, uh, or or basically that, like, she can't hang out with him, so she does it to, she, like, protect him. Pretty much. Yeah. She doesn't, mm-hmm. yeah, she doesn't want to, or she's scared, I think, right? That's a little scare him away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, that, that's a good point, Vanessa, that um, Erika does do a good job of, of capturing the, the feeling of helplessness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, it, it's not surprising, of course, you know, I think it's important to recognize it. And, um, you know, um, it really does seem like her world has um, gone dark, like you're saying. Um, and she doesn't, you know, even with Connor, right? I mean, it's like, well, he might, it might actually make things worse, you know? Mm-hmm. She kind of just shuts out the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you, you use the phrase right now, the downward spiral. Um, that doesn't really help, right? Like, yeah. She isolates herself more and more, which I think maybe contributes to you know, these feelings. Yeah. Um, I think um, it, the ice skating rink, I don't know if you all remember that as a setting, but um, I think in Poet X, um, what was Yamada's uh, Aman, right? Yes. Uh, I, I think that was like his favorite thing to do was skating in the ice. Um. So for them in that one, that becomes a one for them to like bond uh, and find out about like their favorite things to do because uh, he's really good at it. Um, but, you know, here, of course, it's like the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah she, go ahead. she imagines, I mean, sorry. Yeah, because I know she, she envisions, you know, like maybe they would come here in the summer, but yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, she ends up in a hospital because of it, you know, so thankfully, uh, you know, someone saves her. Um, Well, what do you think of of the way that story is told? Yeah. Because it's a huge gap. And we actually don't read to like the very end of the book what happens in between where her father finds yeah. her. Yeah. But like, that's, that was an interesting way of telling that story. That was, um, uh, well, I don't know your thoughts on it, Vanessa, but to me, Richie reminded me of a uh, invisible man. Do you know what? It, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the moment, you know, where he hits his head and like, he ends up also in a hospital and like, he can't, he's got that amnesia, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to kind of say that it kind of seems like almost, she just blacks out. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, it seems that that would be the 
the explanation, I mean, I was kind of also thinking of like, you know, because uh, she mentions uh, the self-harm earlier. Um, yeah. But uh, I think it's just, you know, that lack of, of will to live, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, Padme and, and Star Wars, you know, where like nothing really is, there's nothing there like physiologically. It's just the lack of the will that kills you, you know, but. Um, yeah. But, you know, of course, like the anxiety that you mentioned, Vanessa, would also explain, you know, um, why she does black out, you know, and. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, thankfully, I mean, someone does. Uh, you said her dad, Richie? Yeah, I think later in, in the, at the end of the book, she she um, talks about how she she was in her room and she pushes her bed against the door. And, and that's. She mentions how her her dad felt like something was wrong, and so he was like trying to get in, and mm -hmm. he was panicking. And he mentions that's when she really knew she really loved him, or like she felt love from, because he was really worried about her. But she was like already kind of in her bed, bleeding out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty. Pretty. Uh, yeah. Pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, and you know we talked about the fact it's it's a YA novel, you know, but how these are conversations that need to happen in classrooms. And I mean, right now they're going to be online classrooms, you know, but I think um, it's important in these times all the more so to like have those kinds of conversations from like the, the enforced isolation and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she does end up being sent to Los Ojos, Chihuahua, where um, the, the fictional town where, um, you know, her parents were from, and hence where the rest of her family is. Um, and I think we were... That was also her... her uh, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. That was also her sister's email handle, wasn't it? Los Ojos? Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah, you're think, right. Hmm, yes. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't catch that. It's a little Easter, yeah, Easter egg. Yeah. Uh, My bad. I didn't mean to, I was like, I, I realized it the other day. I was like, what? Hold on. Yeah. Um, well, mine didn't come up. You know, I think we all had the same one pre-show, the, the Manila one on 246, but I don't know if, if anyone had one before it. Wait, say, uh, which one? Uh, 246. You know, um, I had one on 242, but it was a very, just a very quick thing. It was on uh, on 242 um, when when they're talking about the hands, and uh, I think this is brought up. I remember bringing it up in, in uh, earlier discussions, and just this this whole idea of um, her parents having the hands of workers, mm. right? And her her uncle is talking about that too, right? Where he says, "Don't work like a donkey, like the rest of your family." And I, I think I think just think it reiterates from earlier on when we we're talking about that generational gap where the older generation works hard and works harder, so the younger generation doesn't have mm -hmm. to, right? Mm -hmm. So I just thought it was um, again also also kind of relatable because I've you know as someone who <laughs> through through studying literature in grad school, you know, I didn't have 
those workers hands you know and so where does it say at the bottom of the page of 242 right he shows me his callous hands then looks at mine look at you you have rich lady hands i just thought that was uh interesting and then of course then it leads to like she wants to be a writer and similar discussions that she's already had right, right? with with family uh, yeah yeah that's a good point the uh, you know we, we like you said we talked about this earlier the the working class divide the sacrifices of the previous generation you know for the next generation to have these kinds of privileges you know and and uh, uh, possibilities mm-hmm. yeah. yeah anyway i just um a huge part of this trip is is you know to see what it can do for Julia to to spend time with her family and to kind of refresh reset and um you know i i i appreciated reading this um especially i think you you're going to head into the food part is that where you were going well yeah, i was wondering if anyone had other, uh if you did oh, you have another one Vanessa before you said 246? Yeah, the 246. No, mine's mine's after that. Oh. On 248. Yeah. Um uh well yeah, I think um you know we like this one because like not just of course cuz it's got Menudo in it, but uh, you know, it's so something we saw with the tortillas and it's kind of a, a neat um bookend scene to that where you know, um, with the tortilla scene, uh, her mom used that as a way to kind of put her down. And, you know, we talked about that in the previous episode. Um, but here, you know, it's a very methodical, um, very um, descriptive, um, you know, very rich uh, scene of how delicate the process is, you know, and um, Menudo is such a staple of, Mexican uh, culture and um, you know I don't think many of us kind of some of us you know don't might not even be aware of like these kinds of things you know because again we're kind of removed from the process to some degree in some ways and um, um, so I I just really liked it because of it and um, I like how she also mentions that the American reaction of like um, you know, uh, the texture of the meat can be shocking to the average American tongue, but I like it. The pieces are soft and chewy, and the surface of the soup glitters with yellow globs of delicious fat. It's topped with lime juice, white onion, and dry oregano. Um, and, and and beyond that, you know, it's also the, you know, the, the it's it's uh it's pretty brutal, you know, the way that it's made and. You know, um, I, I, I reminded me of, you know, with my family, um, I have family that lives in Anapra and um, mm-hmm. extended family. And uh, they, you know, I remember like they had a couple of times where, you know, they actually killed some pigs out there and, you know, just did this whole thing, you know. Um, but um, so, so, yeah, that, you know, that's why I like uh, this one. I, yeah, that was one of my favorite passages as well. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. no, okay, you can go ahead. 
I mean, I just, I just really wanted to add that, that, um, you know, I marked up this passage, um, because of the way it was written, uh, the attention to detail. And I mean, even just, I, I, I learned stuff, you know, I've, I've helped make menudo, you know, like my family grew up making menudo for special events and, and, um, I don't know, it's a weird comparison, but it kind of reminds me of how, how like in Moby Dick, you know, the whaling sections are mm. so like scientifically accurate mm. and like the, the sections on yeah, whaling, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, so much so that like it, it, you know, before it reached literary fame, you know, Moby Dick went to like the, like went to a lot of sections on mm-hmm. whaling <laughs> and libraries instead of like, I just thought this section was, was so well done, you know, like this could be in a culinary section mm. <laughs> you know, about, about yeah. Manilo and, and, and uh, you know, again, my praise to, to Sanchez here um, for, for bringing um, the culture, right, and through that, through that, that uh, through the family as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a certain, so that, uh, it's kind of like a memorial, you know, like an honoring of, like, our ancestors, you know. Um, yeah, so I kind of just, you know, going off what you're saying. Uh, uh, Vanessa, you were going to say something before that? No, Richie basically covered everything I was going to say oh. about the detail that she <laughs> pays to. No, word for word. <laughs> basically, I mean, um, I mean, I didn't think of the Moby Dick reference, so that was that was interesting. Um, but I, I do like that she's very descriptive of the entire process of the meat and making menudo. And I think, you know, it, it yeah. takes it beyond the, the tokenism, you know, that we had, I had mentioned, you know, that it's not just kind of like, just put in there as like, um, you know, to serve a, a purpose of like, just, well, they're Mexican, you know, they're eating Mexican food, you know, but she actually goes yeah. into detail and, and to show that it's a complex procedure, mm-hmm. you know, that I think um, people you know, again, like my take for granted and such. Yeah. I, I think the fact that they also prepare the food together mm-hmm. um, allows allows them to have a, a conversation mm-hmm. a little harder for for Julia to have with her her parents, you know? Yeah. So is that... Go ahead. I just, I mean, I just think it's kind of an, another interesting comparison of you know, because uh, I think that's that's around where she's talking to her, to her grandmother, right? And, and uh, she starts to learn a little bit more about yeah. her mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- uh, with Mama Jacinta, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, and it kind of shows again, like, the, the whole purpose of, you know, why she's there, you know, is she she's skeptical of the whole thing at first, you know, of, like, well, mm-hmm. she says something like, well, you know, is it that they think I got to Americanize or that I'm not Mexican enough, you know? Um, but here, I mean, it kind of just shows a very human human moment, you know, where it's it's not forced and and it does, like you said, because it's 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 communal. Like, it's just a way of bringing the culture alive, you know? Yeah. As brutal as, as the whole thing might be, you know, but, uh, yeah. 
Right. Hmm. Um, and I think uh, a little later, you know, she she goes to the market. I don't know if any any of you had on two two fifty eight or so, or something before that. Um, no, just little things I enjoyed, like her finding out about her father's artistry oh, yeah. that he was an artist. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't draw, you know, and. It just um, again, her, her family trying to put perspective, like you know, about how hard it is to you know probably be somewhere new and have to work, um, and then just uh, <laughs> some little things I left at too, like um, the Mexican nicknames are as cool as they are hilarious. It made me think of like just like mm -hmm. cholo nicknames, <laughs> cholo cholo nicknames, like it's like the, they're ironic kind of thing um and and uh more so just kind of the the description of mm -hmm. of the town there and you know of it than the new i think one of the sadder things is her her father's house that he grew up in falling apart uh because it was abandoned and there's a little bit of loss there that you know and and the huh hit me uh, yeah, no, just because um, I think that's right when they're before, before they go to the to the market right, and all right. that, right? And no, and I was just I was just with their uh, with, uh, Belen, is it? Yeah, yeah, with Belen. No, and I was just gonna I was just my bad. No, no, I, I, I was just gonna that. say that you know um, <laughs> the what you said about the you know what she finds out about her family and her dad and and also that the it reminded me of uh, everything begins and ends because of like the drug, drug cartels, you know, and um, the the whole mm -hmm. way that like they're basically bribing them, and uh, you know, it's still something, of course, that very much is happens to this day, you know, and um, so I I kind of like how it's, you know, she she doesn't shy away from talking about those things, and Erika, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the um, and then the, the pictures too, right? Of like you know she sees the the black and white pictures of her great grandparents, and we've talked about on um, two two fifty. Yeah, the photograph. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've talked about uh, photographs a lot, you know, throughout the podcast, and you know, in this one, like uh they weren't smiling you know and kind of she wonders well maybe back then like they believe it will steal their souls or whatever if you smiled uh photos did and um you know she also brings up la llorona a little later um as one of the stories that were that was told with her and her sister when they were little mm -hmm. um but what about you vanessa did you have uh one around this area no, my minor closer oh, towards okay. the end. Uh, well, I just had mm. a real brief one where she does go to the mercado and and um, she, uh, Belen, you know, uh, um, two fifty eight, um, you know, yeah, got <laughs> that, that too. Yeah, uh, you know, the, uh, the the scene of colorism, you know, which is when. Um, people who are lighter skinned uh put down people who are darker skinned 
And I think it's something that is very true in Mexico, unfortunately, uh, and it's worth uh, calling out. Um, and uh, this is what happens, right? That like they're asking for limosna, which is like alms, and um, you know, um, um, it, you know, it's kind of putting down the indigenous people, you know, and it's what Belen does, and. Yeah. You know, uh, of course, uh, Julia rightfully calls it out, you know. Yeah, you said you had the same one, Richie? Yeah, I mean, the same thing. I just, um, as you mentioned, the colorism, just to mention, you know, I think that's an important scene added in to show, show that, it's happening and here. And I think too. even even more so now because of the Central uh, American migrants, you know, from Honduras and et cetera. Yes. And, you know, because they are unfortunately having to remain in Mexico, you know, they do suffer a lot of that. And so there's yeah. been a lot of like, not just the, the, the discrimination, you know, but they didn't like kidnappings and all kinds of uh, ugly things, you know. Um, yeah vulnerable, vulnerable populations yeah mm. um I, and then wow. you know it's also interesting from the Afet Mina uh on 278 um you know the different ways that Erika points out the different um cultural values uh and religious values in some way here because it's Olympia you know, and so another scene where, like, she kind of describes the process from start to finish, and, you know, um, that's something that reminded me of um, uh, Bless Me Ultima. Um, mm -hmm. And um, by Rodolfo Naya, you know, and uh, the, the whole, it's an indigenous practice, you know, that uh, Roman Catholics would find, like, um, you know, sacrilegious, you know, or, you know, black magic or whatever. But, I mean, um, it, it's got values in it. Yeah. And it's still practiced to this day. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's about, like, trying to find out, you know, um, if something is wrong with you, you know, like if there's something dark energy or whatever, it's meant to be a cleansing. Yeah. Yeah, I noted that um, earlier when I was talking about acts of reading. This was this was the other one I connected it to was was this ritual because it's that's, it's also a, a reading, a type mm. of reading, right? And they look at the, you know, the way, you know, the way it looks after it's cracked, you know, and 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 try and, and exactly. try and make meaning from that. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, that's what I like. One of the things I really like about this book is all the different cultural practices that are whether it's food you know or here like this kind this ritual you know because um as you all as you guys know like i'm big on rituals and i think um that's another one where whether it's making food or in this case um you know cleansing someone of whatever dark energy they have uh that i think um you know ha has meaning in, in, in that culture and uh, you know, she, she's open about it, you know, she's not entirely dismissive about it, so, um, 
kind of shows, you know, mm-hmm. she's really open-minded, you know, she's not, you know, she's really um, open to, like, these experiences. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, that was it for me as far as, like, her, when she's over there, you know. Um, and so afterward, you know, she gets back. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you all have when she gets back? Well, I mean, as soon as she gets back, I, I mentioned the the whole judging a book by its cover thing, right? Mm. <laughs> she mentions that yeah. almost right away in the first paragraph. What page was that on again? Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah. two eighty two. Actually, I actually like the the page before before she leaves Mexico. I thought there was two two um to me nice literary like or spiritual like. Uh, references on two eight two eighty kind of have like the Anzaldúa borderlands kind of kind of oh, thing, yeah. right? Where she's talking about the border. I think about a giant wound, a giant gash between two countries, mm. you know. And 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 then on the next page, she's talking about this this idea of um, the colors are so beautiful, they're almost violent, right? And it's talking about the terror and the beginning of beauty, and it made me think of a. Uh, when we when we studied romanticism and, and Edmund Burke and the the sublime, um, I just thought those were some some powerful kind of introspective moments of of her travels before she gets back, um, you know, with these new experiences. And then of course, turn the page. She's back in the U.S. and she's in a Chinese restaurant with her mom. A little bit more, a little bit more uh, accepting, right? Our understanding of maybe why she is a little more harsh. she's you know become um she's become enlightened you know it's you know it's kind of that whole like jesus Mm -hmm. thing of like going 40 days into the desert and um you know or like buddhists do or Mm. you know anyone right goes off to have some kind of awakening and so she she exactly i think you know she's wiser now and she's not the same person anymore you see in this in this passage, um, both of them trying to understand mm-hmm. the, the other one a little better. Mm-hmm. Because even her mom's trying to understand. She mentions that she uh, she's been talking to the priest, you know, to to try and understand. Yeah, more her, her daughter a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, at least like they're talking, you know. Um, and then what yeah. what else did you did you guys have in, in the the latter like chapters twenty four and onward? So she finds out, you know, um on uh, twenty six onward, like you know, she she ties the the whole investigation together, right? Just like with patron saints and um you know, finds out about Dr. Castillo. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vanessa, I don't know if you had one. I remember you said the the emails. Oh no, oh, we're way past. Where, where was that? <laughs> Aren't I, I, I we? No, uh, I can't remember. Uh, we are. Yeah, that was like. No, when she gets when she gets back. Two thirty-eight. Oh, huh. Wow. <laughs> Oh, but she, but she reads so more she, than though. Oh, you, but you mean the first yeah, time she wait, reads them? Yeah, where? <laughs> what were we gonna say? 
Hmm. Yeah, I see them now on 238. Because these are these are the ones before she finds uh, out that uh, she was that her sister was pregnant, right? Yes. Yeah, two ninety one is when she when she finds the the email that confirms yeah. or reveals that fact. And then what you mentioned about her email address being Los Ojos. Yeah. So what do you find interesting about the emails? Um, well, I really enjoyed reading them because it was kind of the first piece that she actually puts together of like her sister kind of had this secret life this entire time uh. that like no one knew about. Right. And it goes back to the title, yeah. right? That, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we talked in the first episode about how there's a whole hagiography of, of her life, you know, as she's remembered. But, mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that, like, like you know, sh- she's no longer, like, it's kind of that idea, like, like, of, like it's a false false notion of, like, saying, you know, what what's a saint, right? And um yeah so judging a thing by its cover you know mm-hmm. i also like the passage after she reads them where she um says um like the last paragraph on 239 she says this explains almost everything her far away look the hotel key the underwear the reason she never graduated from community college she was with him when she was supposed to be in class yeah and so mm. she's starting to put the pieces together and then she goes away to Mexico and she finds out about her parents and now she comes back and she keeps she keeps discovering things about like her roots and who she is and who her family is. And she, she talks a lot about like secrets, you know, um, like uh, how the family itself has a lot of secrets and uh, how she can't live like that, you know. Um, I think she, there are several passages where, she, like, she's, you know, what do I do, you know, and how can a family live this way, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the burden of having to, to carry it and even the really more of the concept of maybe it's, it's better mm-hmm. not to, to spare them, you know, the pain um, with Olga, with... Same reason why the parents don't talk about the details of what happened to, during sure. their border, you know, the coyote. Mm. Yeah, for sure. You know, so I think because of it, like we were seeing, you know, she she does come to a greater understanding of why her mom is the way she is. And why, to some degree, her yeah. dad is the way he is, too. You know, he kind of lost his, you know, his whole painter dreams you know and along with uh her mom she also um talks to dr cook which we i don't think we we talked about yet um not enough what did you guys think about dr cook the therapist i really liked her i like the role she plays 
Yeah, I mean, uh, on, on 316, um, she's described as, like, you know, um, very, uh, very non-judgmental and, you know, um, encouraging. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't scold her. And uh, the first time she meets her, I think this is before she goes to Mexico, right? She, um, again, uh, the descriptions of the characters, she, she, um, you know, she observes that, you know, she has money, she, she dresses well, but she mentions how she doesn't like act like she's better than her, right? She's very mm-hmm. friendly, encouraging, who's genuine. And I think, um, Julia experiences another i think it's someone leading a, a group right and she's not really she doesn't really care right i forgot i forgot this this lady's name oh, when the she's in the, in, the, in the hospital in the, no not the receptionist in the in the after when she's required to like stay for a little bit oh. where she with all the other kids yeah. who have you know are being evaluated and stuff like their leader that i forget the i forget her name but in contrast to Cook, right? She's like just kind of not really. She doesn't care, right? She's mentioned like she's on her phone and never really tries to engage in conversation. And so, Doctor Cook yeah. is a professional, right? She, she, you know, in terms of mental health, she um, is really invested in mm-hmm. Julian and having these conversations that I think bring out um, real truths. Thing I think, and and really the the kind of stuff that's keep that um julia's been keeping in inside of her right because i think that contributed to a lot of her anxiety to her depression just having to keep a lot in within yeah and you know um she has like it, it just sounds like good advice in in general too you know like um i think it shows again the value yeah. of um like you said someone to talk to and someone who isn't gonna judge her and isn't going to scold her and isn't going to accept her for who she is, as she says. And um, it also shows that the value of just having a therapist, you know, and how important they are to people's lives. And this was right mm-hmm. before um, the, Dr. Castillo, you know, where she confronted him. Uh, and so it's kind of like, mm. you know, that whole scene of like, He's denying it at first, you know, but then he finally uh, admits it. Um, and because um, I uh, was it that uh, Olga worked as a like she worked there. Is that how they ended up meeting? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Um, so I, I like also that Dr. Cook, um, you know, um, does address the, the what she calls the poison running through her veins of like, like you said, the secrets that she's keeping inside and how she mm. does say, well, you know, maybe in the future you can talk to her, you know, but for now, you know, just to kind of uh, keep her journal or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, these uh, methods yeah. of her, I think, list writing things down. 
right? And like, and kind of, I think that was pretty practical. That and also recognizing like the the chemical aspects too of what's happening with her. I think, um, yeah, is, is important. Um, so yeah, I, I did like all of that, you know, because it's not something that we have in Mexican culture too much. Um, like the idea of a therapist or talking mm-hmm. to like a stranger about things, those kinds of issues, you know? And, um, so I think it's a good mm-hmm. discussion for, you know, familias to have about the role of therapists in people's lives and how families do keep these kinds of secrets, you know? Mm-hmm. And and again, um, we've talked about it already several times, and you have in particular, is um, again as a, as a YA novel or, or that kind of population that will be reading it in a, in situations where, you know, I think there's still stigma about getting help. Yeah. So it's it's nice to have these um, positive depictions here of of what yeah that's a very help good can point. be. You know, because uh, I don't know if y'all remember in. Um... And um, everything begins and ends. That the, I think it was. Um, can't remember the name of the story, but you know, there's a character who does see a therapist in that one too. Um, and um, you know that that um, like you said that the stigma, right? That it's it's um, too many. It does. It is something hard to come to grips with and admit. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think absolutely, you know, I think we need more of these positive portrayals of, of these kinds of roles, you know, mm-hmm. what else mm-hmm. do you guys want to talk about, uh, in the, towards the end, she ends up deciding on, on what you, um, and then Connor, I, uh, yeah. You know, so they still decide to keep in touch, even though he's going to go off somewhere else. Um, forget it was if it was Amherst or something like that, but whatever it was. But how did you all feel about how things kind of uh, wrap up? I really liked it. I well, she's leaving to college, but I also think that it's nice that it she kind of flashes back to when her dad found her and was trying to come into the room Mm. which we talked about earlier (laughs) um she just goes through these like little moments um Right before she gets onto the plane, mm-hmm. or while she's on the plane. Uh, what page was that on? Hmm. Towards the very end, I'm oh, on okay. three thirty-seven. No, no, no. I, I, I didn't have any, anything else. I was just, um, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Well, I, I mean, I kind of did. I mean, just more to more to the point, like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty much after the summer break, right? And and 
that she's in this change. I think one of the the like as you said, as as during the wrap up, um, you just kind of see some sort of growth in her where I think she's more um easy on herself. Mm-hmm. On her, I think uh she's very rough mm-hmm. on herself at, at the beginning of the you know throughout yeah. the book, and you know through her journey home, trying to understand her parents better and and her sessions with Dr. Cook. I think she she's easier. I, I mentioned the the mental distortions. Mm. That's what I couldn't remember what it was called. The exercise, but I think after uh, yeah. Julia shares her poem with mm-hmm. Dr. Cook and 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 she praises it. That's actually one of my favorite lines. Is that uh, uh it's on three thirty one, right? On my way out, Dr. Cook tells me she thinks I'll do great in college, and I decide to believe her. I think that line shows i think um i i think that's a beautiful character Mm -hmm. kind of growth there where she Mm -hmm. you know especially as she's into into this new chapter um it's it look it's very positive uplifting yeah and and plus of course plus of course it's also called pandora's box the name of the book is pandora right Mm -hmm. talk about delusions (laughs) <laughs> right and at, at, and at the end yeah. what was left in the box right hope <laughs> so i like yeah. that in the end of the book yeah that's an interesting connection um and um you know that the picture right that she ends up keeping from olga right the ultrasound um mm-hmm. um mm. but yeah you know just like dr ingman uh, dr cook is another big mentor for her um and uh what else vanessa did you have uh towards the end um on 338 also she's her parents she's saying bye to her parents before right before she leaves and she hands her father Mm -hmm. the drawing Mm. and she asks him to continue drawing because she knows that it's something that mm-hmm. made him happy before and she's hopeful that he's going to be able to find himself mm-hmm. his way back to that so I, I really like that because she doesn't necessarily focus so much on herself because she like she believes Dr. Cook so she knows that she's going to do good but she's also like hopeful for her parents to be able to come out of their own traumas. Yeah. That's a really good way of, of looking at that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, cause yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like they have their own different traumas and, um, he, he, she's kind of acting like a therapist to them, you know? Oh no, I was just going to say, we didn't talk about Esteban, Go but, for it. you know, Esteban was the, um, what was, what was oh, he? Yeah. I know they they met, of course, in Los in Los Ojos because he can't cross. You know, it kind of shows that for many people, you know, that's a reality, right? Like I have family who can't cross as well. You know, so it's very common. Um, you know, and it goes back again to like the idea of borders she talks about here. Um, but um. You know, she, she gets very nostalgic towards the end. 
Um, and with Connery too, you know, uh, mm -hmm. knowing that like they're gonna have um, different lives together, but separate at the same time. Um, but um, it, it, it's a very mature decision, you know, um, that well, I got to focus on my studies, you know, instead of just yeah. running off with this guy or whatever. I mean, she, she knows she's going to, you know, in college. And I think mm. she gets a full ride because uh, she's a first generation. Yeah. Right. Um, attendee in her family. Is that and so she's she's part of a program. I think she mentions. Yeah. So I mean, she knows she, she has a lot like, in store for her in that sense as well. You know, really grown into her independence at this point, you know. Um did did you all have any uh closing thoughts on, on the on the work? Um no, I think I'm good. <laughs> Richie? I mean, I just, I think I mentioned earlier with uh, her acceptance of herself of, and as again, she mentioned in the last paragraph, the, the beautiful and the ugly, right? I think that's, um, it's a, it's a good journey. So even though the book's ending, we have a good sense of, of, you know, how she'll be holding herself in her future. And it's just like, uh, patron saints, right? Um, because isn't it the same thing for um, for June, was it, you know, who ends up going to college? And I can't remember for Siomara if that was mm -hmm. the case too, but um, um, no. Not, it was just, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> not, it was just not, junior, junior or yeah. sophomore year. She hasn't graduated, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, I really, I, I was wondering um, about the play. You know that unfortunately, of course, uh, got canceled uh, because of what's going on. But you know, I, I kind of was picturing. Well, mm -hmm. I wonder if this they, if they put this scene in, you know, or that scene because, of course, you know, uh, not all of it can go in mm -hmm. into the stage, you know, but. Um, would have been interesting to see, but maybe in the future, you know. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode discussing I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erika L. Sanchez. And if you haven't read it, we hope we inspire you to pick up a copy. Join us next time as we dis begin our discussion on Jose Olivares' collection, Citizen Illegal. Literally Literary is brought to you by the Mellon Foundation through the Humanities Collaborative at UPCC and UTIP. Follow us on Instagram at literallyliterary.ep and on Twitter at literallyliterary.ep.